Welcome to the Life Coaching with Ryan podcast, episode 10. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Chris about the loss of his father, and we focus mainly on grief and the importance of simplifying your life before you pass. To that end, one of the things that we did do, and this is one of the few small, and I say that we don't have enough around getting somebody ready for death or family ready for death and how to manage it afterwards, but but one of the things we did do is uh, extreme unction for my father. And and for those of you who don't know, it's no longer called extreme unction. Yeah, it's, so it's, called, <laughs> it's called uh, anointing of the sick. Uh, oh, yeah. It, okay. so anointing, From a Catholic perspective. Right, right, which is one component of last rites, right? So right. anointing of the sick, you also have confession, which is an Episcopalian. I don't need to confess to anybody. I need to confess with God, right? Right, but, right, but, right. But you also have confession, you have extreme unction or uh, anointing of the sick, and then right. you usually have the Eucharist. Right, the, right. the breaking of the bread, right? But I'm, and all those things are what they are. I'm only going to focus on the the last, the the unction, unction. right? Uh, which is the term they they changed it like around the 70s after Vatican II. So, so <laughs> whatever. That's what my family calls it still. Um, and that that component seemed to give a lot of people peace. Now, by the time my father had it, uh, we we had brought his pastor in. Uh, he was at a space where I think he was aware, but it was hard to say. So I'm not yeah. sure. But you know what was really? But but it gave him joy and peace to know that he was going to have it. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, but do you f- like this? Isn't like last rites? Like your soul's going to be saved if you do or don't have this, right? He's, no, I don't. You know, he wouldn't before he passed. Sure. No, this isn't. But what I realized was that there was the sense of, you know, in one form or another, Christian anointing of the sick has happened since the earliest days of the Christian Church, two thousand years ago, and it is a thing that is going to continue to happen. And that his child, me, will probably have it. Mm-hmm. His you know, his family before him had it. And they, this puts him in a chain of continuity. Like there's a comfort level. Again, yeah. again, it's not about increasing longevity or lifespan. It's about... Like redefining con- it. Right. And and <laughs> and connecting and, uh, him to like, there's a ritual that I know my, my ancestors before me did. And my children, and I can imagine my children doing it for themselves as well. And it puts me in continuity in a long line, you know, and mm-hmm. that there's a comfort there. Yeah. Maybe a cold comfort, but it's a comfort nonetheless, you know. And again, it's I feel like we need more of those things, yeah. especially for the people who are afterwards. And great. We had a funeral uh, and I can go into what that funeral was. But I felt like a lot of people for me, a funeral was a very unsatisfying a funeral as it's normally standing is a very unsatisfying spiritual meal. Mm. We go, we tell pretty lies about the person, oh. you know, you know what I just, mean? You said that. I was like, ugh. But, but am I not right? Like, you know, and then... I've been to very few funerals and okay. the, the funerals that I've been to or we were don't either celebrations of life Right. Um, or uh, for my coworker, for example, when she did eventually pass, it was a celebration of her life. Um, and uh, the only other one that really stands out in my memory is my, my one of my grandmothers. Um, when she passed, uh, I did a reading at her funeral, mm-hmm. and which was very odd for me at 
gosh, how old was I? Did they did they make you read out of 14, the Bible? 15, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was um, we were given a selection of passages because my my grandmother was Catholic and it was a Catholic funeral. Mass, and there was a selection of exactly. And there was a selection of passages that we could choose to read, and my brother chose one, and I chose one, and we were the first two readings. And then I actually, frankly, have no recollection of all of what the gospel was or what anything was. Right. And then none of that, no homily, none of that had any meaning to me. What had meaning to me was, here's your, here's your stock passages. Um, and my brother chose the one about uh, basically everything in its time. There's a time for reaping, a time for sowing, a time mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And I can't even remember the one I read. Uh, it was just this odd experience right. of going through that process. If anything, it, it wasn't personal to you. Right. It was pro forma. And yeah. and I think a lot of us do yeah. that, yeah. expecting, oh, the funeral will come, I'll feel better. Like, after we get this whole death thing away, we'll just move on. You know, and then, like, <laughs> lies. Wow, lies. that doesn't happen. And, so and, many and, lies. <laughs> right, and so, actually, I invited all my friends, you know, this funeral, my parents, all the ones that knew my dad, and uh, we didn't just all go home. I was like, that's bullshit, you know? Like, yeah. like so we got a hotel room and we crammed ourselves in the hotel room for 24 hours and we drank and we played down at the pool and just talked and laughed and cried and i was like we need wow. so so the so i actually i That's was awesome. over i was over at our mutual friend's house yeah. uh yesterday uh and he had a picture of me i actually at this uh at the after the funeral we kind of had our own wake and uh i i picked up my friend and threw him in the pool and then, of course, everybody else threw. So right. there's a picture of all eight of us in the pool, fully clothed. You know, somebody took a picture of us. And we all got a beard, right. and it it was it was really sort of the emotional release that I needed. You know, this sort of wild. And I don't mean it was like a wild, you know, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas sort of <laughs> weekend. Because right, you right. know, my kids. We had rented a hotel room for my kids, and my wife was there, and you know, but my mom was there. But it was just. It was almost we turned this place into a resort where we yeah. got to check in tent. And again, that was a, a level of resources that I don't know a lot of people would be able to do. But it right. was helpful for me to process because I was like, what do I say to these people that I care? And I invited people to come and people who weren't even staying at the hotel would come by and hang and talk. And but right. like you, you, we, we go through the ritual of the funeral and then what? And then you go home and process. You don't have a chance to like bounce up. And it's so weird to be like, I was just thinking about your dad. Mm-hmm. at home and I wanted to share this really great story that didn't occur to me at the funeral because like let's be honest how many times have you had a, oh I wish I had said and it just comes right. to your head like 10 yeah. minutes afterwards yeah. and it gives people an opportunity a long extended period of time and and it was good for me but I also really think it was good for a lot my, my father was a second parent to a lot of people mm-hmm. um, and it was it was really nice to have that opportunity to give um, space to grieving, you know, yeah. and giving yourself space. And I read something uh, by a gentleman, I can't remember what his name was now, and it's so, so embarrassing, uh, and I'll email it to you, so if you want to put it in the liner notes or sure. whatever. Yeah, great. Uh, there was a gentleman who, from the Minnesota Men's Conference, who I had listened to him about grieving, and his his concept is that you need to give space and time to grieving, that you we can't just drop our lives, but hey, maybe maybe 20 minutes once a week on a Sunday, be like, this is my time to grieve, or a half hour, or an hour mm. for a year. And not that it's the ritual, 
but you'd be surprised and say, okay, I'm going to pull out some pictures and I'm going to think about it. And, and that after a year of doing that, you'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit better. And then we just sort of pack it away. Okay, it's done. And we move on with our lives. And then what happens is that at the most inopportune moment, you bust into tears or it wells up or bubbles up over into, you know, the executive board meeting. And you're like, fuck you, because you're my dad. And I'm <laughs> Everybody's like, whoa, what hey, man, happened, what just man? happened? Yeah, you're like, totally. you, don't, you don't process these things. And they, they, they find a way to squeak out into other you know, inappropriate moments. I was just in a group coaching call uh, earlier this week. And um, a, a woman came on the line to be coached. And... Um, she talked a little bit about what she'd been experiencing lately, and one of them was uh, miscarriage. And her statement, mm-hmm. talking to the coach who was, you know, running the, the call, um, she said, I, I feel like I need to move on, um, as if something was wrong um, that needed to be changed because she should be more functional and getting things done. And immediately, what about I, that I ex- weight? Like I exclaimed, and I was so happy that the coach said the same thing, which was like, "Or well, how about you hurt? Right, right. How right. about Give you grieve? Space, how right? about maybe the reason stuff's fucked up is because you're putting it in a box? What if you just took it out of the box? And I am not about like we should all wear sackcloth and rub ourselves no, in no, ashes. No, but, but, it's but not own, about indulgence. But, it's right. about experience. There's there is a clear line be like, between indulgence oh woe is me please notice me kind of stuff which i'm not saying is wrong either right. i'm just saying there's a distinction between that and just feeling your pain right and having that experience whether it's just taking it out once a week for 20 minutes right or, or whether or it's three straight days, days of, of it right or however you do it and and i think yeah. his his or an hour on Sundays or whatever, whatever. is that right? And, and the, his his comment, and I could be grossly paraphr- you know, overstating this, and he might be like, "What? You totally misunderstood me." But <laughs> but but that, that you need to give yourself time, and you need to give yourself space, and you need to honor the fact that you as a human being are changing too, and these yeah. changes, and that the you are not going to be able to is not a thing you you can't cram the night before for this test, right? <laughs> right? Like, right? Right? This is you. You will be inexorably changed. In this, in this experience of inexorable that's transition, right? right? I that's think, right. and I think that's kind of a really key thing. So I think, in, in, for the sake of, because we talked about this for hours, but they've kind of missed out on how you came to this point. So, like from that initial conversation, that that initial yeah. moment, even before you spoke to your father, that from that initial moment of you going, "Oh my God, he's terminal." Like I would love. To, to have everyone know a little bit about that the, what that journey was from right oh my god he's terminal to all of the steps yeah well um, so we took. had my father and I weren't reconciled at the time so he called me kind of out of the blue <laughs> you <laughs> know like I hadn't talked to him in months and and the last time I did talk to him was some angry angry words and he he basically said hey you know, I had some leg pain. It wasn't going away. Um, and they did an x-ray and they looked the leg. And then so they found that it was a second. He had a secondary tumor, a metastasis in his leg. They caught the primary. And, uh, and he really, I think, the technical components of his treatment 
and medical condition acted as a bridge that both my father and I could be like, we're not going to talk about this thing that separates us, but there it's very easy. I mean, he's an engineer and science guy, <laughs> you know, it's very easy for us to focus on this and be talk about this and that and this yeah. and that. Yeah. I mean, that added, that eventually became a big sticking point because I felt like he was not reading the, he was not interpreting or reading the x-rays the way that, that I would, or the doctor was, he was reading what he wanted into it, you know, but I'm like, at a certain point, I, I railed against like you're not think you know right. you're overly optimistic about this. But then he he got to uh, but then I was like, it's not my job to burst his bubble. Right. You know what I mean? Right. My job is to prepare for what happens when and not to change his mindset. And so that was that was an easy thing for me to like after I made that mental shift. Ironically, which later is a on, remarkable shift to be clear. So after <laughs> after after that though we had a we had some time, and then he got down and was like, "Yeah, it's going to be the end soon." And I'm like, "No, no, it's not." <laughs> and I found myself like, my third my third perspective looking out and being like, "Wow, this is a real shift," you know. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't wrong. Yeah, right. he he knew. And I guess what's really interesting is, is that he knew his body pretty well mm. like he at the end he kind of knew when he had now what's lucky for us is that my father um rode the wave of new biologic drugs i was gonna right? say I, I wrote a note to myself about it was like five and a half years when After you expected months, nine right, months wow. right right so i knew two people who had passed away from renal cell carcinoma um in the last decade before my father and they lasted about six months and that's what I was expecting and that's what the, the, the oncologist had confirmed for us was a probably a fairly natural course and in fact though he had gotten on a clinical trial for some new biological drugs um, that were basically he had he took tissue necrosis factor and I won't get into the science of that but essentially what it did is it boosted his auto his immune system mm. uh, to fighting off the cancer and it really worked well some of the drugs and and what was happening is it was it was the time for, and we're still at the beginning of this revolution so yeah. I'm not trying to say like oh but miracle drugs right but it, but <laughs> but it extended his life for five years and gave him an incredible quality of life to the point where he actually started a nonprofit. Wow. Right. Um, and that nonprofit was uh, wildly successful. And he was invited to the twice to the Obama White House for really? to, to speak about. Um, and he, he worked with the Rotary to, uh, to work in other countries. And it was it was really amazing. Again, a different conversation. Yeah. For a different yeah. Time. That would be a lovely but, one. But, but and, and and then, you know, what was really nice is that. He had this moment of what I call real crisis um, where the doctors were like, okay, your treatments are okay, but the wound in your leg is still growing. Like the the uh, growth in your leg on your femur is still growing. So they put a rod in his leg. So he had to do this surgery where they um, put an internal fixation into his leg. And I, I honestly don't know if it was a rod or what it was. but It was so his leg would be stable. Right, exactly. And uh, he was so um, belligerent at in the hospital. And when you when somebody is under severe sedation and medication, they all the filters are off, right? right. And he was ex- expressing many of the behaviors 
that I felt were most had led us to a point of like separation, right? Right. And finally, you know, I I I was trying to console my mom because he was lashing out at everybody, and finally I just he as we were wheeling him out of the hospital, you know, I went and I was like, "Hey, Dad, you look like because we I had kind of ignored being." I was mad at him for a long time, and then we got into this, okay, technically, how, how is this fixing? That was a good bridge, and then he went into the hospital, and we weren't sure he was going to come out of the hospital, and he did, and the surgery was successful, and as he's coming out, I was like, hey, Dad, I want to let you know, it looks like you're going to be around for a little bit longer. He's like, yeah, I think so. That's great. And I was like, so I'm going to go back to being really fucking pissed at you now. And he, <laughs> and he looked at me, and he was like, what? You're mad at me? And I was like, you conceited mother. You didn't even know. Like, how could uh, I am here angry and you didn't even have the dignity to be upset that I'm angry. Like, you're so. And at that point, I realized it was just so stupid. I was, you know, my anger was so just me and upset. And by the way, I still I'm not getting into it, but I had every right to be angry. For but but I realized that my anger was serving nobody but myself. You well, know, and he you're like, you're like you're an asshole. Like let's let's, let's, right, okay, exactly. let's let's pause for a moment. Let's pause yeah. for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just just address. Okay, you are an, you are estranged with your father. He gets diagnosed with a terminal illness. Yeah. You stop part of your life to care for him and check in with him. You remarkably think the question at all. How do you want to die? You're with him through this process to some degree dealing with his all of your existing baggage and the belligerence that occurs with this type of a situation. Right. So, of course you were fucking angry. (laughs) Right, 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 exactly. I think you're doing such a wonderful job in this conversation of giving us the perspective of a year later of having processed, of being able to reflect and go that anger was only serving me, but like just taking a moment to be like, holy shit, I took this man to the hospital, mm-hmm. he's having a total freak out, my mom is has dementia, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, you may not be the only one, because we didn't talk about that specifically, but you had a significant role. Right. I wasn't the only one. In holding that together. And so, fuck, like, fuck! <laughs> so after my dad got back from the hospital, I actually went down and stayed with them for, a, excuse me, a little bit. And uh, and when I did, I said, "Okay, Dad, it's time. Like, you gotta, you gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure this out." And so I looked for a duplex. God brought them up. Said, "Are would you be okay with this duplex? This is where my family would be willing to live because mm. we live in the East Bay." Uh, Bay Area, and uh, would you be willing to live here? And they're like, yeah, I think so. And so we bought the duplex. Again, I'm not saying that everybody should move their parents, their dying parents in with them. <laughs> and I'm not ignorant to the fact that I was blessed that I had the capability to do this financially, you know, because of my 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 work situation, my wife's work situation, that we could do this. Mm-hmm. But but it was a sort of okay. I'm going to honor, and I even told him this. I I wrote him a letter. I said, I think I'm honoring your death wishes in this way. For me, not you. Mm-hmm. And I was and that was a really kind of hard thing. Or maybe what I said was for as much me as for you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, giving you this thing, giving you this gift is as much giving a gift to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and there are... Um, which is Which is, again, not insignificant because a lot of people talking about loss of identity is also the loss of identity of the caretaker, that your identity is subsumed by the person whom you are caring, for whom you are caring. Absolutely. And so you were able to... But from your own hard work, good fortune, etc., right. to be in a position to do something that worked for you and for him and your mother. Right. So if you're interested, there's a really cool book by um, Callanan and Kelly um, uh, called Final Gifts. And that, that's, that's kind of a book that I actually ended up reading just after my father passed. And I was like, oh, okay. And it kind of helped frame some things for me. So that's another book. I'll send you the link to it. In, yeah, I in think liner notes. Um, as we talk, um, if, I've, if everyone will have already seen anyone who watches a video of this as opposed to the audio, they'll they'll see like book covers and things right, like that. Right, so. right, right, right. <laughs> so I think um, I, so. Well, then the 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 larger problem came because we moved them out of their house in Cupertino, or we bought the house in Alameda. I bought the house, and then the whole side of the house was like empty, right? And I, I was like, guys, you got to move. And they weren't ready to move, so I sort of negotiated, well, how about you transition, you come up once a, once a m- month, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, this is while my dad was still healthy enough that he could drive occasionally, you know, when he, on wow. a good day he could drive, because yeah. five years, right? Right, um, right, right. And how, how far into the process was this? So we bought the house in 2014, and my dad passed in March of 2017, and he moved in okay. in... August of 2016. So we oh. had the house for two years. Wow! Before he actually moved in, and this is I where I got really frustrated. I was really frustrated because we bought the house, and I was like, "Dude, you're killing me, man!" Like right. I could, I could have, could have spent you know a couple hundred thousand, uh, m- m- a lot of money on something else that you, yeah. you know. And but full well knowing that the intention would be that my mom would live like live on and I'm not sure that my mom really caught that right. but but she's got it now yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. I'm just I'm grateful I imagine yeah uh, when she's able to be grateful yeah and so what I realized was why aren't you guys so they would come up and it became their sort of pet and they really liked it they would come up and spend three days a week over time you know once they would come up once a month and then they would come up three days a week and then finally I kind of was like, you guys got to shit or get off the pot. And, yeah. and this had been a long discussion between my parents, my, my mom and dad and I and Lauren, like, you guys got to move, you know? And, yeah. and I wanted to be respectful of the fact that they had a huge community down there. On the other hand, you're talking about a 45 minute drive. You're not talking like I moved them to Armonk, New York or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the hinterlands. Exactly. And so, right. So when they finally did move, um, it was really, really tough. And I realized the impediment, after a certain point, they logically understood they were still going to see their friends. They could still go to their church, mm-hmm. you know, Sunday morning drive of 45 minutes as opposed to the 20-minute drive that it was before. It's not a big deal. And I was like, so so logically, they acknowledge they should be moving now because it's the, you're making me nervous that you're going to actually get sick and we're not going to be able to move you out of the house in Cupertino, you know, this plan. And, yeah. and I felt like I was dry, – at some points I felt like I was driving them but without – but still trying to honor, like, what's going on. So I was like, well, what is it? What's going on? Like, we've made a space for you. 
you've moved some stuff that you're coming up for. What is, and I realized. Loss of identity. Yeah. Loss of identity. And that so much of their house and yeah. their stuff yep. was was this loss of identity. The, and, and you hit the nail on the head there. there because, yeah. so what I did was called, um, well, when we went through, so my father was something of a pack rat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes what I would call normal, healthy, crowded behavior seem very healthy. <laughs> I, I, I love that you say that because right now people can't <laughs> I, see. I know, see. I know. We're surrounded but by But I wanted to be crap. as gentle as possible. <laughs> I, 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 I totally understand. And part of why I bought this book was not just preparation for this conversation, but for me. Right. Because death cleaning is, is about how you lighten the load of your life both for your own experience as well as for those around you if you were to pass. I have so much shit. I mean, literally, there are probably five boxes of of right, like mementos right, right, behind right. you, plus pull drawers it's of a, stuff. But see, and Ryan, so it's I a totally disease it. that I have. My my, <laughs> I could show you a picture of my spare bedroom at the moment. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's a it's a North American disease, and I we, we again we I, I actually have a comment about that in a little bit. That'd be but, great. But be great. but for me, what I realized was my dad was a pack rat. Far beyond what I call normal, you know, yeah, yeah. collective behavior. Oh, I'm normal. Thank God. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh yeah. Totally. Right. Uh, you know. look around. <laughs> yeah, but but he was he was actually, uh, and and for a long time I thought and that my my dad was the problem, and my mom was just. The, the the check valve of sanity. Finally, she'd be like, "Oh, I don't know what to do that day," you know. And, and I thought, but what I've realized now, since my dad's been gone, it was a folly ado. You know, yeah. it was the two of them together. Yeah. But nonetheless, yeah. they had a twenty six hundred square foot house, two story, four bedroom, full of stuff, full of stuff. And when I say full, I mean my dad was a tinkerer, engineer, half done projects, garage. I mean I. I, I have pictures and I didn't bring them. I should have showed you because you would have been gobsmacked. You would have been like, "What the heck?" And <laughs> maybe if you're willing, we can post one of those. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and I really had to, uh, you know, it, his his collection went to the went into the realm of pathology, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started trying to go through him, organizing. And I would be like, okay, let's get rid of We would get rid of stuff. And literally, I'd come back three months later, and there'd refilled. be more stuff. And yeah. I was just like, we got to cut. We, we, I'm sorry. If you want to live, we got to cut off your arm. We just got to do it. We got to, we gotta, <laughs> you know, we got to do this, right? We got to amputate. Yeah. And so yeah. I had a number of, and I realized that that's what was they were dragging. It was not the friends, which they still had deep friendships with. It was not the... It was the house, and it it was the stuff. And so I hired a really great company called Creating Comfort, and they the the company is focused on um, geriatric relocation and downsizing, and they did a really great job. And so much of their work was not about like. Packing, so they were kind of a moving company, yeah. but it was about having conversations, processing, processing conversation. Yeah. You know, like you've got sixty photo albums here. 
can I help you digitize those? Here's the resource to digitize those, and we can put them on your iPad. Not that my mom is cognitively using an iPad right now. And, and but gosh, you I hope nobody it. ever. My mom's never going to hear this i uh, this podcast. But I hope. no. <laughs> and if she does, she's probably not going to be aware of it. But but it, it's true though that they helped. There were so many things that they had collected, and then I went through this process because I struggle myself with with um, m- material collection. Mm. Their process, their check valve for that was, well, I acknowledge I don't want it. We can't keep it. Maybe Chris would like it. And they would give it to me. And I would be like, you didn't ask. You just brought it over. And I'm like, no. This is a sickness. This is like, and and I was like, and it's so hard because there were so many things that my father, like even after he passed, he had all these degrees. And they meant so much to him. And yet they're a piece of paper. And yet... From my perspective, I really had a really hard time getting rid of his degrees and diplomas. They mean nothing to anybody else in the world now. Yeah. But they were so quintessentially my father. Yeah. And it was so difficult. And so one of the really cool books that helped me um, is The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Mm. Uh, she... So this book, and I'll share a lot about her. She gives a lot of technical strategies, but she also offers some process and emotional insights into getting rid of stuff right. and how how we can do that. And one of the, and unpacking my spirituality, she talks, she was a Shinto um, temple maiden, okay? So she wasn't a priest, but she worked in that spiritual community, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the big things, as I understand it, uh, is that there's this concept of spiritual of things, right? right. Um, animus, and that you respect right. and, venerate, and honorate those things. Yeah, honor them. I don't yeah. think honorate's a word, but you honor them. Right. Yeah. And animism. Right. And yeah. she will. What she does is she says, "Okay, so you look at a thing. The first thing you do is, does that bring me joy? And if you if you even just change your context and start thinking about it, you think, gosh, does that is that bring me joy, or am I thinking anxiety, or is it a collective eye roll, or do I not even has it just faded into the collective background of my clutter that I don't need anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And then once you've looked at that and you realize it's not bringing you joy, or it's either neutral or even maybe negative, you pick it up and you thank it for its service and you say goodbye and you go through this little ritual of saying goodbye. And I personally, A, being Episcopalian, don't believe in... I, I mean, I, I truly believe animals have souls, and I believe that even plants have a energy that needs to be honored and respected. I mean, in fact, we as Christians are commanded to do so. But, um, but I don't believe necessarily that your computer monitor or a book in and of itself has a, a spiritual component to it mm-hmm. other than what we as human beings invest into it, right? Mm-hmm. So I felt like this was really weird. I was like, that's silly. But of course, you know, I'm sitting there in a quiet moment, you know, and I was like, Let's try so it. hey, you were really, really helpful. I really appreciate what you did in the time that you did it and know that I value you and then it's time for you to move on. And it was like a weight was lifted. It was amazing. And I don't even believe in, like, <laughs> I was taught, I don't think that book was hearing me, but something inside myself was. Mm-hmm. Right? right? And so. The why ceases to be important at a certain. Right. A certain level, or, you know, it's just kind of, it was. It occurred, right. it was useful. 
right, right, exactly. And but I made it personal, and that has been so helpful for me. And I have a number of people who are either various shades of atheist or agnostic who've also used the methodology of honoring or 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 thinking about or acknowledging what this was, and maybe I've grown beyond it, or maybe I haven't grown beyond it, but the vagaries and necessities of my life mean I can't keep it here. Mm-hmm. And and it and it's just been so very good, you know. And I use that process, and so I I really encourage uh, people to look at that. And it really helped me deal with a lot of stuff because the stuff that they were trying to get rid of was, for lack of a better word, stuff that I had grown up with too. So I st- I had a lot of emotional attachment to it. Yeah. So what so what we did is we. Um, I hired this company, Creating Comfort. We moved the stuff, and then we did an estate sale for everything else, and I basically kept them away. I was like, just, let's go do something else. And not, they knew it was happening. It wasn't like I was like, oh, move them out. They were participants, but they needed a little encouragement. What was really, really funny is that probably four months after this, they moved in in August, so it must have been December, and my dad passed in March. My dad was railing. He couldn't find something. And then he was Mm. like, you know, your mom's black leather jacket. And you have to realize my mom is four foot, like, 11. Mm. And this jacket is a jacket my dad bought her in the 60s and was, like, threadbare. Uh And he's like, that jacket was gone. Somebody must have stolen it. And I was like, Dad, I'm pretty sure there's no underground you know, black market for a threadbare leather jacket. I was there during that conversation. We chose the, these jackets because they had, you know, and this right. was time to go. And there was a process. And I came back because every time, and there were so many things. He had a, or Norwegian, and he had lefse, which is a type of uh, potato tortilla pancake uh, bread that they make. He had made these paint. Uh, he had made these lefse stirs, and they were basically uh, sanded down paint stirs, like you get at Kmart. <laughs> and he couldn't find them, and he was pissed about that. And I was yeah. like, "Dad, I will buy. I will go to Home Depot, and I will sand them down and buy, buy you new ones." And it was it was just still this sort of like sense of loss, you know, for him. And I I yeah. I feel like could I have done it better? And in fact, I I went to my wife at the time. I was like, every time he says he's frustrated that he can't find something or something was given away because he's downsized, I I feel like that's an indictment of me like I did the process wrong. And she's like, "Really? Cuz that's not what I hear. What I hear him say is he's pissed at this company. He's pissed at this group. And he's not pissed at you." And he's like, she's like, "Your plan, the plan worked perfectly. Can you imagine how much angrier or unhealthy it would have been had you mm. been the one to do it. Wow. Now we have a collective, you know, resource. Yeah. And, and so we ended up renting the house in Cupertino, and I have my own properties, or had my own properties, and, and was landlord. And my wife's brilliance was like, you don't, you should not be the landlord for them. Like, yeah. have a third party that if things go totally to shit... Yeah. You can point to them. You know what I mean? Even you know, <laughs> right? And right. you don't need to take that on. And it's not a slight on your, you know, financial management that you you, yeah. you can't take care of your parents like this. Do the right thing, and and my my Clever. wife's wisdom in both those senses have, has has come to pass, um, and and it's it's really great because we focused on that. And so my other um, my other suggestion to people who are facing situations like this is. And again, we were in a situation where we could hire somebody, but, and so I don't, 
this situation doesn't work for everybody, but find a th- if you can, when you can, find a third party. And I'm not saying outsource somebody's death, outsource your familial <laughs> co- connections as much as you may want to. Don't don't actually do that. But but as much of this as you can put on a third party priest somebody you know and so you can collectively be like when this person starts to get their emotional hackles up about the end of life and they get frustrated with all the things that happen you can you can be on their side as opposed to being opposed to them about it find ways to be on their side Mm -hmm. even when you're feeling attacked you can be like oh you know and and i don't mean that that was in any way i was disingenuous with my parents you know I, i had these conversations but it was really really good and I really recommend that, especially though I will say is that because my parents had so much stuff that the actual – we had a net break even. They found all the stuff they wanted to keep and they had this company come in to help them move but spend so much time organizing and mentally preparing and parsing and packing and unpacking mentally and emotionally and, and, and in reality and physically yeah, yeah, yeah. that the cost of that was well offset by the sale of their stuff. And so, in my opinion, it was a win. It was like, awesome. You know? Especially since I got to go through and pick out the things that I wanted before they moved. They they took the stuff that they they wanted. I got to go through and pick out all the stuff that I wanted. And then the rest went, and it was paid for. And here's a little preview of what's coming up next week. It's so so funny, because when you were talking about it, I'm like, okay, my life coach brain kicks on immediately, yeah? And here's here's the emotion behind what you're saying and the self-judgment and what you're saying, and goes, okay, real talk, even if he was mad at you and not the company, I mean, it's wonderful for your wife to be able to use that kind of dissemblage (laughs) in that moment. Um, The truth of the matter is coming to the conclusion and the understanding that no you did make the right steps and even if he was angry at you exactly as you just said it's the dementia it's these other things that are happening it's things that you can't possibly control or take responsibility for it doesn't mean we don't we're human we care you you care about your dad you want to do the right thing something jenny and i were talking about um jenny so you know is the person I did the first podcast with right um she was saying how she has this good girl identity that she's grown up with and good girl translates to good mom or good this or good that and so you had the same i want to be a good boy i I want to be a good son i want to be a good family member i want to do the right thing by my family so this is again part of that emotional experience Mm -hmm. as you're trying to go about doing the quote right Right thing thing. unquote right you know for for your family like the show consider subscribing through my patreon at patreon.com slash life coaching with ryan you'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards want more you can also find me streaming on twitch at twitch.tv slash life coaching with ryan where i play some games and i continue the conversation i'm pretty active on instagram you can find me at instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore life it's where i do my book club I record the book club episodes live on Mondays, and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.